welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You're listening to Punches and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and Untapped at Process Potables, and on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. Check out our other shows, namely Post Game Potables, our new pod coming to you immediately following every Eagles game. Powerbomb and Potables, our weekly professional wrestling podcast, and the flagship show Process Potables, which will have a new episode as soon as the Sixers hire a new head coach. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Punches and Potables is on tap. Cheers, everyone. Welcome to the first ever Punches and Potables. I am your host, Paul Ryan, here with my co-host, Rob Huber. What's up, everyone? We are two local boys from South Jersey here to talk about some MMA for you. Yeah, we're going to get into uh, a lot of topics here in terms of uh, mainly just UFC for now. I'm sure that'll change in the future. Uh, we'll dive into a lot more organizations, a lot more fighters throughout. But uh, for this first episode here, we're really going to just dive into this uh, previous weekend's fights as well as what we've got coming up this Saturday. All right, so let's get it started. There was a good set of fights this uh, past weekend. <laughs> I think that's an understatement, but yeah, um, the, a, a lot of good action. Sadly, I didn't get to catch all of it uh, due to a prior engagement and wedding. But yeah, I mean, from what I saw and the stats that I'm seeing, it was absolutely uh, an incredible main event, especially. Um, I mean, I'm really excited to get into this one here. All right, so we're going to break down some of the Bigger fights of the night, and some with impact going forward? Well, I mean, there, there's definitely some that put some fighters, not necessarily on the map, but got attention, I think is, is a good way of putting it. Um, some that already had, let's say, some, some movement going forward, but kind of you know, really set their, set their place in what potential they're going to see going forward. Uh, so... You know, I, th- I think let's just get right into uh, the first one we're, we're going to look back at from this past weekend. All right. We're going to start off with Random Marcos versus Mackenzie Dern. So what about between these two? It it was definitely interesting. It was the classic striker versus jiu-jitsu kind of fighter, which blew my mind when Mackenzie Dern threw that kick and dropped to her back. And Random Marcos decided to go to the ground with her when there wasn't many exchanges on their feet but it was clear that random marcos was winning and it's like you said interesting in that mindset in the moment of course you're in the octagon and even with no fans in the actual stadium itself in the arena sure emotions might be able to get the better of you still but you would think with being being able to go in with a game plan or you know maybe here in your corner that you, you might want to be a little bit more aware of who you're fighting in that moment, especially when it comes to the jiu-jitsu skill level that they have. Yeah, Mackenzie Dern is definitely special when it comes to jiu-jitsu. She, uh, she has won world championships, and they're considering her the female level of like a Damian Maya. So somebody you don't want to go to the ground with, especially in the beginning 
when it shows you have a clear striking advantage. And Randa Marcos is no joke. She has wins over big names like Carla Esparza. When you have a win over Carla Esparza, people take notice. Well, definitely. When you're talking about female fighters, uh, we're on the up and up of more and more fighters coming through, you know, lesser productions or even through Bellator. And now you have a lot more coming in through the UFC. You have them through the contender series. Um, you know, so it's growing and growing, but still, you know, there, there's few names that you're going to pinpoint and immediately know, even if you're not a huge fan of MMA, but when you think of your Ronda Rousey's, Holly Holmes, Misha Tate's, you know, Carla Esparza is right up there. You know, you, you hear that name, and if you're even a moderate fan of the UFC or the MMA, you're going to know who she is, or at least you've heard of her. So to have a win over her is, of course, impressive. Yes, so with now Mackenzie Dern having a win over somebody who's beating Carla Esparza, it's going to propel her forward. Now, she was already ranked 14th, and Randa was unranked. So going forward, you definitely think Mackenzie's going to have a ranked fight. But back to the actual fight, Randa sat in her guard for way too long, and especially with her legs wrapped around her head. I believe it was Dominic Cruz who said she's hanging too long in the danger zone because there's three different submissions from that spot Mackenzie Dern could have gone to. It was the triangle, the omoplata, and the armbar. And no other way to say it. Mackenzie Dern is slick in her jiu-jitsu. She just waited, 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 and worked her way to that armbar and put Rando away. And it, it really bodes to the experience of her, especially in her specific craft, and not only just as a fighter who's been doing this for a little while now, but just especially in jiu-jitsu, like you said, she knew those different submissions. Granted, I don't think she would have heard it from, you know, even with no fans, she, you know, she, you, you can hear some things now, you know, from the actual commentators themselves. And, you know, a lot of the times you're going to have some experienced people that are, you know, commentating on your fights. Uh, so um, I think what you stated was really spot on in the sense that she kind of waited. She, she knew where she had her and then the moment came and you could almost see the confidence there. And just when she took that submission, she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew that she had that fight at that point. Yeah, definitely. So now what's next for Mackenzie Dern? I know for a good while, she was the new toy that they wanted to push, but I think the UFC learned after some of their mistakes with people like Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt not to push them too hard too fast. But that being said, she is going to have to have a ranked fight, and I think she's going to have to have a big name to see if she can hang with the top dogs and get into the top ten. And right now at number 11... There's a very good name who's out there that, again, people would know and who have been in there with the best girls in the division, and that's the Tiny Tornado Tisha Torres. <laughs> and what a name. I, always, I, I love the aspect in UFC of the actual kind of stage name, so to say, as well, uh, that nickname, and the Tiny Tornado. Not only just a fun one, but also just overwhelmingly fitting as well. Sounds like it would be a great stripper name. <laughs> 
Thank you, producer Dan. That is our producer and editor, Dan Morgan. The man, the myth, the legend. Thank you. But for those of you who might not know Tisha, she has been consistently one of the top girls, and most of her losses are to the big names of the division. Joanna Yunjacek, Jessica Andraj, Rose Nama Yunus, and the current champion, Zhang Wei Li. I mean, what more can you say? Those are the top four, hands down, some of the toughest, most badass women on the entire planet. So to have an L to any of them, let alone, you know, all of them, sure, her record's not up there with some of the greats. But like you stated, to have those losses and where her losses come to the names that she's lost to, that's why she's still right in that, you know, right in that sweet spot of top 10-ish, you know. And I, I feel like one good fight back for her could really cement her going forward and just getting her back definitively in that top 10. And derailing a girl like Mackenzie Dern, who has a lot of hype coming in, would definitely be a way to get her back into that top 10 conversation, at least get a top 10 fight. It's the hype train, man. You know, the, the UFC thrives on it, you know, just like any entertainment organization does. You know, you have to have excitement. You know, unfortunately, as it is, people want a little bit of a rivalry. They want a story. They want a little bit of give and take. You know, is it good to see some of the more experienced fighters here and there who sincerely both just go up, shake hands, everything's cool, and then afterwards they're fine as well? Yeah, but let's be honest. Some of that excitement comes from a hyped, maybe sometimes overhyped fighter coming in who's on a little bit of a streak. And then, I mean, what's more exciting sometimes than to see an upset? You know, so... Like you stated, you know, that could push her right back in. She's got the hype. We go against the tiny tornado. I mean, that that would be a major fight for both of them with a lot of importance. So I think whoever would wind up winning that one, if that match does come into play, would be a very, very fun one to watch considering what is on the line for both of them. All right, and the next fight on the car we're going to discuss is Ryan Spann versus Johnny Walker. I mean, I love the name Johnny Walker, first of all. Let's just put that out there before I even looked at any of his stats or anything of him as a fighter. I was hooked mainly just because of the alcohol. I don't blame you there, but he is an excellent fighter, and he's a wild man. His last two fights, he was coming off losses, but they were both the top 10 ranked guys. He was still the young prospect coming in, and he learned a lot. And he even went to a new camp for this fight. He actually fought with Coach Kavanaugh, Conor McGregor's head coach, mm-hmm. against the Dana White Contender Series alum and undefeated number 14 fighter, Ryan Spann. And let's just look at actual statistics of the fight itself. Now, Ryan Spann gets the two knockdowns. We actually don't have any from Johnny Walker, but total strikes... And then significant strikes is really where it came into play. 30 total strikes compared to 10. And then 26 significant strikes for Johnny Walker for only 7 for Ryan Spann. That's detrimental. I mean, just looking at the stats alone, it's insane to see the amount of abuse 
that really went in in terms of significant strikes on there. Yeah, Ryan Spann came out swinging and hurt him, and hurt him bad twice. And I got to give Johnny Walker credit for coming back, recovering, and being able to put him away. Those elbows and hammer fists he put on Ryan Spann as Ryan Spann was trying to take him down, which is what eventually put him away, were vicious. Yeah, because even if you look at how they rated control time during the fight as well, Walker only has 40 seconds, and then not much more. But, you know, we have a minute and 40 seconds for a span. So, overall, when you're looking at this outside of the significant strikes and the actual strikes that you just mentioned that actually were the ones to put span away, two knockdowns, more control time. He's got the passes as well. I mean, it, it wasn't a bad showing until he just kind of let that one slip and he, he let his guard go. Well, again, he's a young fighter, young prospect, new to the organization against one of the uh, – he's another – Johnny Walker's another top prospect, but Johnny Walker has had his losses and had his chances to learn, and now it's Ryan Spans. No shame in it. He'll be back, and he'll probably be right back in another top 15, back end of the top 10 fight. Yeah, I definitely think he will take this loss seriously – in a way that's going to propel him forward. He doesn't seem like the type who's going to sit back and let this one get to him. Uh, I think in his demeanor and the skill level that we've already seen from him, whomever the next opponent is going to be should be a little bit scared. Well, Ryan Spann's last win before he fought Johnny Walker was a big win over Little Nog. Mm -hmm. So when you have a win over a legend already in your belt, that helps you with your confidence and helps you moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's going to be a relatively quick turnaround for him. I, I think we'll probably see Ryan Spann very, very shortly, quick recovery, and then right back into a camp, and we'll probably see him, uh, I'd, I'd say, if not by the end of this year, I mean, because we're already pushing into October, very beginning of 2021, we'll likely see him, whether it's a prelim fight, uh, definitely don't think it might be a main card at this point with the loss, but... I think we'll see him in the octagon fighting again very soon. Honestly, I'd like to see him against another legend like Shogun. That would be a fun one. If nothing else, that would just be a fun one to watch. But as for Johnny Walker going forward, he has a lot of options. Does he take another guy at the back end of the top 10 to try to rebuild momentum? Or does he try going forward to build himself back up and get into that title conversation? Was the win impressive? Absolutely. To even think about title contention right now or a fight or two or however many away he would have to position himself in or who he might have to take at that point. I think that's a little out there, uh, not impossible, obviously. And uh, right now with the pandemic, nothing is really impossible in terms of how fast some of these fighters who don't take a lot of damage during a fight, who don't really have to recover can get right back into camps or maintain instead of drop a whole bunch of weight and get right back in there. We've seen it a couple times during 2020 as it is. So it's not impossible if there's enough fighters who aren't able to do full camps or make the weight cut, you know, he, he could, he could face a big name and then really put himself in there in a couple of fights. But for me personally, I think he's still back end and he still needs to work his way up. I think he's got a lot, more to prove before I would consider title in there. We'll have three names in mind, but I'll give you the 
I'll give you the two first because I think they are a little bit of ahead of him. And those are fights I think he could win with enough time and training because those guys also might need to rest. But I would say Anthony Lionheart Smith would be a good fight for him or to test to see if he's ready for the big boys. Former title challenger Vulcan Ustamir. See, now I think Smith would be a good one to watch. And I think with Smith, that would be a good one for him as well. Now, putting away Johnny Walker in a fight isn't something that would necessarily boost him all the way back up to where he would like to be. But it's definitely, again, that kind of, not necessarily as much of a hype train, but Johnny Walker, he's he's making a name for himself. That's what we're talking about right here. You know, he's, he's putting himself out there. He just had a big win with Lionheart. It would be a pretty solid victory for him, if especially if he could put him away. So someone with the striking that we just saw, especially this past weekend of Johnny Walker, for Lionheart to go back in there, potentially devastate him, get a solid knockout, then that, that would boost him. So that I think that would be the matchup I would prefer to see at that point, just because I think that there is a good amount of steam that Johnny Walker could gain from it, but at the same time, it would be beneficial for Lionheart if he actually wound up winning or especially getting a TKO in that fight. Now, the third name I thought of, he's on a little bit of a losing skid and will be coming back to the division, but it would be good for him if he can get a win just to get some confidence back and get moving back towards the title would be Alexander Gustafson. And you know I'm a fan. He's he's one of my favorites. I am all about him. By no means washed up, you know, at all. But at this point, as much as this might hurt me, I will say that I don't think that's fair to Johnny Walker. I feel like he deserves not just a name, but a name who is in that top 10 that's going to propel him a little bit further instead of just taking a fight with a popular name because it's a popular name. If Alexander Gustafson came back down to the division to try to propel himself back towards the title and get back where he used to be, would you think the better fight for him would be Volkan Ustamir? Yes, without a doubt. That's another one where both would benefit, and Gustafson getting a win there propels himself back. But then on the other end, that's not a bad fight to fight, again, a name. Not comfortable in his position right now, but you know if you can get a win over Gustafson where you're currently at in rankings there, you're fine. And you get to say that you, you, you took out Gustafson. It's a big name. It's something to add on to your resume. And his position there, solid. Good fight. Good you know matchmaking right there. For Walker, he needs somebody already cemented in the top 10 that he's going to go in. And I'd like to see, you know, someone, I'd like them to purposefully put him against someone who is a little against his style. That's fair. All right, moving on. Next would be the man everybody's talking about. Three wins in 66 days, going for a fourth because he already has his next fight booked against Damian Maya. Kazmat Chimaev coming off a 17-second knockout win over Gerald Mearshaft. And how 
devastating was that knockout? Just, I may have actually played the replay of that knockout legitimately 30 to 40 times. Just the pure impact of that knock. It, 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 it was absolutely insane. Like, I, I, I thought his head was going to pop off of his shoulders and fly out of the octagon. Oh, Mirshoff never saw that punch coming. Mm-mm, not at all. <laughs> a lot of people were saying the UFC was being disrespectful. Kazmat was overlooking Mirshoff for double booking him. But he shows up, and people are calling him the new Khabib for a reason. And he uses Khabib's line all the time. He's going to smash people. And he's in there to do it. And he smashed Mirshaft. Now, the problem is, Damian Maia is a different monster. Absolutely. You, you can't take away from his resume and everything that he's done throughout his career. But I'm, 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 we've been saying it over and over again. I'm on the hype train for him. <laughs> you know, like, it, like that, that knockout was so impressive. Would I have liked to have seen that knockout maybe happen in the second or the third? Yes, because I think that matchup was a good one. I don't think that it was necessarily there was an overwhelming underdog. Stats and things, you know, like the actual betting odds might say different, but I was really excited for that fight. To see it end in 17 seconds with a knockout like that, I'm not upset, but I would have liked to have seen that knockout exact same way happen in the second or the third, so that way we would have actually gotten to see just a little bit more from him. However, do you think the double booking really propelled him to say, I need to get this done in the first? Or do you think he's already that cocky or confident to say, I know I can turn it around and be ready by this date, regardless if this goes every single round and it goes to decision. But do you think that that knockout was a little bit propelled by the fact that he went, I'm fighting again right around the corner. I need this done and I need this done now. I think it was the confidence because he's been saying all along, anywhere, anytime, any weight class. And he's shown willingness to fight at both middleweight and welterweight because this fight against Mearshaft was at middleweight. And his fight against Damian Maya is at welterweight. And even at the press conference before the fight, joking around with the other welterweights that were on the table, he told them all, I like most of you guys, but I'm still going to smash you. Which, of course, again, that brings us back into the entertainment aspect of it. You, you want everyone to be good sports at the end of it, and you do. I think even some of the biggest rivalries, when you even see Diaz and McGregor kind of hugging it out and showing mutual respect at the end of the fight, but you, you want a little bit of trash talk. You want that confidence. Now, when you have confidence from some fighters when it comes to them being on a losing streak and still talking all the trash and saying they're going to, you know, take people out, and then, then it becomes a different story. Then it's almost annoying, but when you're on a consistent win streak like this, you're going in the octagon and you're performing the way that he is, yeah, you, you, you have some right. Until somebody shuts you up and knocks you out that way in 17 seconds, stand there, puff your chest out, raise your head up high, and be you know a confident, sometimes arrogant asshole, but you know you deserve it right now. Now, my big question is, because it's clear that he has the punching power over Damian Maya, but is he that confident that he wants to drag it to the ground and grapple with Damian? That's where I think some of his confidence might get him. 
I think he has he has a mindset when I watch his interviews or press conferences where I almost am afraid he's going to want to take it to the ground to prove himself. When in reality, smarter game plan, keeping yourself alive in this hype, in this confidence, in this, you know, everyone's got all eyes on you. Don't risk the opportunity of taking an L with a very, very experienced guy on the ground, to say the least. Like, that's the, that's the least impressive way that I could put it when we're talking about who we are. Don't take an L, potentially, and put yourself at risk. Go with a smarter game plan. I understand it, but, you know, you, you want to say that you were able to submit what I will consider, you know, a legend. Just knock him out. Just keep, keep him standing up. If he goes to the ground and he's waiting for you on his back, don't. Tell him to stand up. Go with the smarter game plan. And for those of you, know, who, those of you who don't know Damian Maya's resume, he is a legend when it comes to jiu-jitsu. Some people have taken him to the ground because of their arrogance, but they're grappling, and they learned real quick that that was a mistake. Go ask Ben Askren. Talking about a hype train that ended real quick. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's one of them right there. Masvidal started that. Damian Maya ended it. Ended it. Absolutely ended it. All right. So next we are going to get over to the co-main event. Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus the hybrid Nico Price. This one hurts me. It hurts me just as much as I think it hurt Cerrone. The amount of pride that man still has. What a career. And obviously it's still going to continue from what he says at least. But this one. One, Cerrone himself said with ESPN in the post-fight interviews, the two fighters were right next to each other. And he said if they didn't take that point, he would have won. He should have won. He should have gotten the win money and taken it home to his family. And he still considers it an L. So he already considers this a loss. He knows he's on the downward spiral. And then he went on in that interview to then just talk and talk and talk about all the things that he should have done in not only just this fight, but the past couple of fights saying, I'm slow to start. I'm getting slower to start. I'm not finding where I need to be until X amount of time in. And I'm not doing what I'm traditionally known for and going out there and kickboxing. At what point for Cowboy do, like, I mean, for me, I already know it's right now. Uh, It was actually his last fight. But at what point is he finally going to throw in the hat? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to disagree with you and disagree with you wholeheartedly. I know. Now, taking out the McGregor and Justin Gaethje fights, we go back and look at his last couple fights. Tony Ferguson. They were one and one going into that third round. True. And nobody's going to question how good of a fighter Tony is. No, never. The doctor stopped it because of his broken nose and how his eye swelled up. That Pettis fight was very close, and most people thought Cowboy won, including Anthony Pettis. Very true. Now, when it comes to this Nico Price fight, the second round was the decider. I believe the separation in 
significant strikes land, it was four or five in the second round between Cowboy and Nico. But I believe watching the exchanges, Cowboy actually got the better of the exchanges, and he's the one who controlled the center of the octagon and the pace. So in my opinion, he won that round, and I know I'm not the only one because people like Chael Sonnen have come out and said the same. So I don't think he's as out of it as you think he is. I think he's definitely slowing down, and he's not going to be that top guy or in title contention anymore. But he's still a guy who can go out there, compete, and he's still a draw. When you see Cowboy on a fight, people show up. People watch. He has the most wins and most finishes and most bonuses for a reason. Well, for me, it comes down to the UFC at this point, I think, not only based off of the streak that he's on in terms of wins versus losses, but also if Cowboy is going to say that he's not retiring, he's not done, I almost want the UFC to kind of pick and choose his fights for him at that point. Like, make him almost a gatekeeper. Like, if you want to keep fighting, that's fine. Like you said, I don't think he's ever going to be someone that's ever back in title contention. I don't think he has that in him at this point. Um, Is the man an absolute legend? Of course. Will he be a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Is his name going to go down in the history books of all MMA, UFC, or any other, you know, talent program out there absolutely but at this point I think more of it for me is not so much doubting him in the sense of being able to even win a fight but he has two kids that have the coolest names of all time and only somebody like Cowboy could pull that off at least successfully you know plenty of celebrities have kids with dumb names but his kids have awesome names I want them to have a dad that not only is there to see them grow up, but able to remember their childhood and to be there for the long haul. It's not so much the fact that even if he won this fight, the abuse he's taking at his age, because every fight now, whether he's getting knocked out, whether it's going to decision, if it's going all three or five rounds, whatever the fight may be, he's getting beat up regardless if he wins That's, for me, the biggest thing is when do you as UFC or any fight program have to then tell a fighter that, like, we're pulling you because we know you're not going to do it, so we have to do it for you for your own safety. Because how many many more times can a guy like him, after the abuse he's taken over the years and how long he's been doing this, continually get hit in the head that many times – fight after fight after fight, go every single round, or get knocked out unconscious, and then say, eh, give it a couple months and he'll be back. And he already said he's not coming back until 2021, which is like the best thing in that interview I could have heard when he was like, I'm not coming back until next year. Well, for those who don't know, Cowboys kids are named Danger and Riot. So amazing. But... What they need to do is not force him to retire, but force him to do the one thing he never wants to do, and that's take a break. Let himself heal before he comes back. Because the last time he took a real break, he did go on a little bit of a tear and tore through some really good guys in the lightweight division and Alexander Hernandez and Ally Aquinta. 
And that's such a great point. It really is. And it's a weird thought that I had was we know people like Conor McGregor is really bad with his money. John Jones is bad with a lot of things, uh, but his money being one of them as well. And, you know, outside of the fighting world, you get these celebrities like Rob Gronkowski. Everyone expects him to be completely broke by the time he's 40. Just because you get all of this money and you wind up spending it. I honestly, I'm wondering if Cowboy just is really the Brett Favre of just like, I'm not quitting. I love it for the game. I don't care about the money. I just want to do it. Or if he's actually just secretly really bad with his money and he's just like, look, I need another fight, Uncle Dana. You got to give me another fight. Like, Because why else is this guy just refusing to just not take a break until now? Even though we're at the end of 2020, it, I was again, I was so thrilled when he said, I'm doing this, I'm going home, I'm spending time with my boys, and you'll see me in 2021. Because Uncle Dana never forced him to sit down and take that break. It was either injury or I was ready to fight. But where Cowboy is at in his career, I think he should be looking for fun fights that excite him or big money fights. Like the fight I think he should wait on is Nate Diaz. Because I believe Nate Diaz is going to lose his BMF title rematch to Jorge Masvidal. And the smart thing for Masvidal to do after that would be to call out Nick, who was potentially returning. Because that would be a big, exciting fight. And tell me it wouldn't be a great and exciting fight and card for Nick Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal to be headlining with Cowboy versus Nate Diaz as the co-main event. I mean, both Diaz brothers on a single card is obviously going to be a draw right there, regardless of who they're fighting. Uh, ultimately, I, I just wish one day, whether it's in the UFC, another you know production, even if it winds up just being bare knuckle, I would love nothing more than just to see both Diaz brothers go at it. Yeah, that, that is that is like the one thing like I've always sincerely wanted to see, and I think that would be such a big money fight for both of them and the UFC alone. But no, that that would be an amazing card. What you just put out there—that's that's almost like a dream card right there. Again, both Diaz brothers, as well as you got the BMF belt, Jorge on there retaining that title, which I can pretty much confidently say as well, and then Cowboy. And I think Cowboy and Nick would be, you know, a good one. You know, Nick, Nick coming back and then really, you know, kind of trying to show what he can do, you know, after potentially losing the BMF belt there. But even if that was his first fight back, I think that's a good one for both of them. You know, the, the age and the, you know, lack of time that Nick has been in the UFC or fighting or doing anything to come back and then fight Cowboy, who is shown and admitted to slowing down that would be a really fun one to watch just because i think that they would kind of match each other's pace and as for nico price i mean i know he wants to run it back with cowboy but if you're nico price you got to start looking forward i know you wanted that legend's name you know on your resume but you got to start looking forward and for me if i'm nico price and i really want to move forward the gatekeeper to the top 15 is who i'm looking at and that's Mike Perry. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's a great one. I, I really do. I think Nico Price versus Mike Perry would be a fantastic matchup. 
Uh, I think Mike Perry would give him a little bit of his, you know, run for his money too. Ultimately, if I'm being honest, I think Nico Price could, with the proper camp and the right game plan going in against Mike Perry, instead of how he went in versus Cowboy, he might have to change up some things here and there. Uh, but overall, based off of his performance against Cowboy, I think that's a very, not easy win, but something that's super attainable for him to do. Go up against someone, a name, again, like Mike Perry, not necessarily a guy that anyone in title contention is worried about coming around, but he's got recognition. There's that name there. It would be a fun fight to watch, honestly. You know, I, I think that it would be a lot of stand-up for the most part. Um, you know, might start a little bit slow at Nico Price's pace, and then Mike Perry might force a, you know, a little bit of pressure on him. And I think that second round during the, uh, a fight between those two would really just open it up and we, we, we would see some sparks flying. That would definitely be a great five-rounder. Yeah, absolutely. To see the cardio tank on both of those guys to really just, you know, see see what they see what they can put uh, towards the end there. Now over to the main event, we had Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. I hate this fight. <laughs> it was a very one-sided affair. This is the third fight in a row. Tyron Woodley was gun shy and wouldn't pull the trigger, and it ended with a TKO with Colby Covington on top in transition, and Tyron breaking his rib. Yeah, and you, you said it. It's the third fight in a row. I'm missing that old, not the, you know, the show and tell of Woodley, not the entertainment value of Woodley, not Tyrone Woodley pissing everybody off, but just him in the octagon back in his heyday. Because I feel like we are officially past it at this point. For me personally, I used to love watching him in the octagon. I don't care that his name comes up on a card. The only reason I cared about this fight is because anyone will know that I have absolute distaste for who Colby Covington is as a person. There's a lot of that going around. But for me, this fight mostly comes down to Tyron. He's gun shy. He's afraid to pull the trigger. I don't know what's going on with him. So at this point in his career, he needs to make some changes. He either needs to change camp, get a new voice in his ear to get that motivation back, or he needs to accept that he's the gatekeeper to the top five in the title. And I know he's on a three-fight losing streak, but if we're talking about 170 right now, someone like Michael Chiesa, who's a mm-hmm. dark horse in this division, who all he needs is a big name to get himself into title contention, should be calling Woodley's name out right now. And if all of that isn't an option, then he should really consider going up to 185, moving up to middleweight, and fighting somebody at the back end of the top 15, like I would say Chris Weidman would be a good option. But even then, if you're going to go up a weight class, sure, you might be a little bit more comfortable because you're not doing as big of a cut. You don't have to maybe do as strenuous as a camp. But if you're afraid to pull the trigger and you're not willing to get in the pocket and throw, what do you think is going to happen at a weight class above with guys who are more notably throwing hands and looking for the knockout? I mean, not saying that none of the guys in that division are submission specialists. That would be asinine to say. But to go up a weight class and then to still sit there in the pocket with your hands up or to fall square and... The head movement absolutely stops. 
he's going to get wrung out real quick, like real quick if he goes up a weight class. I'd be even more scared for him if he fought someone on the back end of the top 10 going up a weight class instead of him just being the gatekeeper for the top five. Yeah, I could see that, but something definitely needs to change, and it's got to change soon. But on to Colby. After the fight, Colby called out both Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal. Of course. And neither one of those fights right now are available because Kamaru Usman has a fight set up with a number one contender, and he earned it in Gilbert Burns. Yeah. And Jorge Masvidal has a fight set up with Nate Diaz for the BMF title. And from Masvidal's record, he's always going to take the money. He's always going to take the money fight, and I don't blame him. So what's next for Colby? I honestly don't know. And partially, again, part of that is not caring about him too much, you know. But, um, no, I, I think the as much as I would personally hate it, and I don't know if I could tune into, like, any of the press conference or anything like that, I'm not saying that he waits around just waiting for Jorge Masvidal. But can you imagine the press conference alone between that? Both of them just wearing their MAGA hats and, you know, their their Trump 2020 flag attire to the press conference. Like, <laughs> I almost feel like it would be the the first boring Jorge Masvidal, like weigh-ins and everything, because I feel like they would actually have a little bit of mutual respect for one another. So, like, I... It's it seems like a fun fight in the octagon, but like all of the entertainment aspect around that and everything before and after the fight, I feel like would just be underwhelming. And for two guys who talk a lot of shit, I feel like that would be so underwhelming. I think maybe in the face off, you know, Colby Covington would catch that three piece in a soda. <laughs> but there is one name out there who isn't booked, who is in the top five, and that's Leon Edwards. Mm. Now after the show god it really it really pains me to just talk nice things about him but after the show that he put on this past weekend i honestly think that i don't want to say he's above that fight but if he can go out and do what he did this past weekend i think he would run right through him i honestly think colby will win that fight too but it is the biggest fight they can make with the rankings sure. and who's left. But if Leon could somehow catch him and get that win on his record, that would definitely propel him to be next in line for the title, which is what he wants. And I believe he's on an eight-fight win streak, yep. so he kind of deserves it. And the last loss in his career was to Kamaru Usman. So we go back to what we were discussing earlier when that win streak and that hype, and then if you have a loss... Really, who is that loss? Or when we were talking about the tiny tornado, is are those losses really that detrimental when it comes from who you lost to? Because that, that makes a difference. Because, yes, you look at the record, but who you lost to is going to have an impact there. So, yeah, well-deserved. And, again, if he could take out Colby, I think that would rightfully so put him right in contention as well, depending on what we see going forward. Definitely. And moving on to the big fights this week, and we have two title fights. First, for the vacant light heavyweight title, we got Jan Blahowitz versus Dominic Reyes. All right, I'm just going to get the controversial statement right out. Um, I think that the man who vacated his title was scared. Uh, it was because of Jan. And, I, and I, I'm going to stick to it. I know it's controversial. I already saw the look in your eyes. If anyone else here could, you would know that he's very upset with me. Uh, but 
Jan is a monster. And as much as Jones, in the moment, looking at him in the octagon from the front row, put his hands up and kind of gave the, yeah, let's go, there was a little bit of fear. There was, there was fear. When you're looking at a guy that size that's somehow in your weight division and is able to make weight and throw the way he does, ah, that's why he vacated. Nah, that's cute. The reason he vacated <laughs> is the guy who, in my opinion, beat him in their last fight in the dominator, Dominic Reyes. Reyes has only had two close fights. That was Volkan Ostemir and John Jones. And I believe Dominic Reyes in that fight beat John Jones, and that is the reason he's moved up to heavy because he does not want that rematch. And I'll absolutely agree when it comes to Reyes versus Jones. I thought Reyes had that fight when they said, and still, I was livid. I did not think for a second that they would actually, I mean, and I should have, because you've got to believe that in any sport and organization that there's going to be some politics there. I just rewatching that fight again as well. I, I, I still just went Reyes every single time. I think with Reyes's footwork and his pace, as well as his knockout power, I think he'll be able to overwhelm Jan and put him away. But Jan does have that one punch knockout power, which would should worry Dominic Reyes. Absolutely. It should. And I'll never take away from Reyes. And when, with this matchup, let's just put it out there. I'm a big fan of both fighters. Uh, they're huge talents, both of them. Uh, Reyes' skill set when it comes to being lighter, having that speed on his side, his footwork, you know, he's always moving. Yes, will it be a small portion of what Jan might have to deal with? But he's way more than this one punch power. I mean, look at what what was it? Two of the dirtiest submissions I, like you saw the hand going to tap before he really even clenched it in. So, I mean, that standing guillotine was one of the nastiest submissions I've ever seen in my entire to to even think about a dude that size being able to just stand behind you and within less than 3 seconds of having like his grip around you tap like because because you at that point I thought it was just fear because it was just I don't want to know what's going to happen if he actually starts to squeeze. My biggest problem with Jan, and it's not really a problem, it just sticks in my mind that he struggled and lost to top middleweights. Like when Tiago Santos came up, he beat Jan, and he struggled with Jacare. Yeah, I mean when it comes to size, that's really what we're gonna be seen for five rounds especially. I think as much as I sincerely believe Jan can take this fight almost across the board, um, if it does happen to go five rounds, I think what it comes down to is if Reyes can take him into rounds four and five, I'll start to get a little bit nervous. I'll I'll admit that, but I do think that it'll probably be done in three. I'm going to say Reyes with a fourth round TKO. All right. I wouldn't even put him at a TKO, but interesting. I like that. All right, now to the main event. The last style bender, Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. This is one that is going to be either over quick or just five rounds of magic. 
I'm really hoping it's five rounds. Now, I'm an Adesanya fan. I obviously want him to get the win. I'm not too keen on Costa as it is, but I won't take away from the guy's camp the way that he's gone about preparing for this fight specifically when it comes to the pandemic and everything he's done in order to put himself still in the best shape that he possibly can be for it. But, but man, with this five fights with these guys, the tank they both have now, I do think Adesanya, due to his weight and height, he's never really seemed to get gassed too much when it came to cardio. I think that's going to be a big advantage, especially for such a bigger, muscular guy like Costa. But to see these guys go for five rounds together, that would that would be amazing. The only time you really seen... Adesanya gassed and take a lot of damage was that Gastelum fight, which helps Costa because they're teammates. Now, I'm not sure about the size of the octagon over in Fight Island, but I know if it was in the apex, it's a smaller octagon. Mm -hmm. And with that pressure and him coming forward, he would have been able to corner and land solid shots on Adesanya better. The thing is, I'm confident in Paulo's chin his ability to take a shot in order to give one that he's going to do more damage than people think. Adesanya likes to play that, oh, I'm magic, I'm too fast, I'm not going to get hit. He's gotten hit. It might not have been against Whitaker or Yoel Romero because we don't want to talk about that Romero fight. <laughs> but all you got to do is go back and look at that Gastelum fight. Gastelum hurt him. And if Gastelum hurts you, my Lord, what's going to happen when Paulo Costa gets his hands on you? But the one thing, and as much as I'm hesitant to bring it up, especially after you mentioning it, the one thing we can say about the Yoel Romero fight is the very first round, I mean, he did throw Adesanya off with just standing there. He, he wasn't even, like, moving. He literally just statue still right in the octagon. And then, what was it, like, within a minute in, he landed that big overhand and just, and he put Adesanya on his ass, and then he stood back up. But the one thing after that, Yoel Romero never threw anything big after the second round because he literally could not hit him, and then he got discouraged. That's all that it was because you saw those big overhands, that knockout, that punch that he was swinging for, they all stopped because he continued to try to do that for the second round. He continued to try to do it for the first after he landed the one, and then Adesanya's speed and his head movement and his feet, his footwork, it's just, he, he literally could, you go back and you watch that fight when Romero did try to throw or even kick, he wasn't landing anything. And you watch that fight in slow motion as you should with any Adesanya fight. You go back and you just slow things down. And his reflexes and his ability to dodge and continually move is absolutely incredible. I think you're right, though. If the octagon is smaller, that's going to be an issue for him. Not enough room to move around. But my big thing is, Costa's not going to stand there. Costa comes forward. Costa hunts you down, and he lands. And even when he doesn't land solid, it still hurts. Go back and watch his fight with Yoel Romero. He stood in the pocket, and he took some bombs from Romero and nobody, and I mean nobody, wants to stand there in that pocket with Yoel Romero. Now, I'm going to say Adesanya is striking. He's more polished. He is a little bit faster. But 
that power and that chin of his, his ability to come forward, hunt you down, and put his hands on you is something Adesanya hasn't seen since Kelvin Gastelum. And it's really what I thought he was going to see against Yoel Romero. I thought that that I thought the way we're talking about Costa was going to be what we would have seen out of that Yoel Romero fight and what I was kind of expecting and wanting because I wanted to see a more physically built fighter in that weight class take on the lankier, fast, you know, in my mind, one of the true like mixed martial artists in the sense of like his ability to not only just like do your typical boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling, but also throw actual kung fu. Not just like, oh, like, you know, I'm throwing a, a spinning kick and throwing the Bruce Lee and, you know, all of this at you, but like actually practiced these different forms of karate, kung fu, taekwondo, and incorporating all of these. I'm excited for this one because I really want to see how Adesanya's going to venture against someone like this. Again, what I think he was expecting from Yoel Romero but didn't get. And then to see how he responds to it, I, I, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Well, Romero and Adesanya both are counter-strikers. So stylistically, it didn't match up well. Mm. He just picked Romero because it's a scary name and nobody wanted to fight him and he wanted to prove something. And I get it because Costa tore his bicep and he couldn't fight. Sure. But Costa is not going to stand there. Costa's not a counter-striker. Costa's going to come forward. He's going to put the pressure on him. He's going to back him up, and he's going to throw. So I'm going to go with Costa with a fourth-round knockout. For me, again, I think ultimately I want this to be a five-round fight. As an Adesanya fan, I want it to be a five-round fight because I think if it goes to decision, I mean, Costa's no joke when it comes to his tank as well, but when it comes to cardio, I you're, you're not going to find many fighters that are going to be able to go all five rounds the way that Adesanya can. So I think for me, that would be my, maybe not how it actually ends, but at least how I would like it to. I would actually love to see this go, of course, unanimous decision to Adesanya, but take him all five rounds, show him the tank, see just how far Costa can actually go in a fight with all of the muscle, with throwing the heavy bombs, and see if he has the tank to actually put himself as a full five-round fighter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a good weekend. Well, that's going to be it for today. I'd like to thank you for listening to our first-ever edition of Punches and Potables. My name is Robert Huber. I'm Paul Ryan. See you later.